All right, we're turning to Matthew 6 this morning. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? If you're using one of our red church Bibles, Matthew chapter 6 is on page 473. And as you turn there, I just want to be honest with you guys. Praying is hard. I, I don't know if you agree. I bet you do. Praying is hard. Um, our schedules are busy. You know, your day begins the second your eyes open up in the morning. It's one thing after another to get you and your spouse and your kids ready for the day. Then you're quickly off into work mode, meeting after meeting. Maybe you've got a lunch break, but it's your first time to yourself, so you need the rest. And then it begins all over again. Then you're home for dinner, kids' activities, bath, bed, and then you're exhausted, lights out, getting ready for the next day to do it over again. Our lives are busy. It's simply too busy to find any kind of dedicated time to praying. That's my experience sometimes. What about you? Praying is hard. But when we find that time, it can be distracting, right? When you get around to scheduling time to sit and be quiet for a minute, when you finally get around to praying, you try to focus on what's on your heart and your mind, but then the needs of your life creep in. You're trying to pray, but then your calendar keeps popping up in your head. Your phone goes off. You wonder who might be texting me, and they must hear from me immediately. I need to check my phone. It must be an emergency. Or you're praying about a friend, and then you realize that you need to talk to this other person about that one other thing that's going on, and you realize you've gone down a rabbit trail. It's been five minutes since you were actually praying. Our lives are busy, and that can be distracting when we actually find time to sit and pray. Praying is hard. Other times, we have the opportunity to pray, but then that small voice in our head grows louder and louder, reminding us just how messed up we are, reminding us of our sin, reminding us that we don't deserve God's love, trying to convince us that he doesn't want to listen to you right now. So we let the time pass us by. Praying is hard. Still other times we think, what is the point of praying? I mean, this situation I'm in front of, what is the point of praying? Because you've prayed for things in the past, and you haven't had those prayers answered. You prayed for healing for a loved one. You might have prayed for a job opportunity. You've prayed for a relationship to get better. You've prayed over and over and over again, and it didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. They didn't recover. You didn't get the job. That person didn't change. What is the point of praying if things don't change? Praying is hard. Maybe for you, praying is hard because you just don't know what to say. Maybe praying is hard because you don't like talking in front of people. Or perhaps praying is hard because other people don't pray like you like to pray, and you feel embarrassed praying like that in front of others. This isn't just for adults. Kids have their own issues. My kids and I, we were praying once, and we got done, and one of them asked, why can't we hear God? God can hear us. Why can't we hear him? It's a great question. It's revealing of all of our hesitancy with prayer, right? It's awkward. It's like talking on the phone but no one's on the other end of the line. It's weird. Praying is hard. And Jesus knows that. That's why he gave us encouragement. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to help us 
learn how to pray. So for the next several weeks, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and learn how to pray. We're going to look at just the first few verses today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through the first sentence of chapter verse 9. And as we look at that, Jesus is going to give us three reminders that will help us. He's going to remind us that your Father hears you. He's going to remind us that our Father knows you. And finally, he's going to remind us that your Father loves you. He hears you, he knows you, and he loves you. Hopefully, that'll help us pray. Let's read and pray and look at this together. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. That's all we're going to look at today, those three verses. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask now, would you send your spirit to speak to us in our hearts? Would you convict us of where we fall short of your glory? Would you comfort us as we strive through the power of your spirit to be shaped as disciples of your son? In his name we pray, amen. So first, Jesus reminds us that our Father hears you. Our Father hears us. Jesus is making this point in a kind of roundabout kind of way. He does so by pointing out the foolishness of praying like the Gentiles. Look at verse 7. He says that the Gentiles, that is the pagans, those who were not Jewish at the time, and although they still believed in some kind of God or deity in the world, they didn't believe in the God of the Jews. When they pray, they heap up empty phrases, or as another translation puts it, vain repetition. And Jesus says that they are convinced that their prayers are heard because of their many words. Vain repetition and many words. That is how the Gentiles prayed. They were under the assumption that the length of their prayers, the quality of their prayers, that is the eloquence, the beauty, perhaps even the formality of the words that they used, that that was the condition for their prayers to be heard. And so you would have people praying repeated prayers over and over again. They would repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. They would have these mantras that they would memorize, and sometimes they would even pray with big words that the religious folks knew, but to many sounded a lot like babble. This is the way that they prayed, and they believed that if we pray like this, eloquent, fancy, many words, long prayers, that that was the way that their prayers would be heard. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Don't pray like them. We have to ask, though, is Jesus here condemning long prayers? Is he condemning repeated prayers that we pray again and again? Is he he condemning prayers that have 
big words in them? No. Like, we know that Jesus, on occasion, would spend the whole night in prayer. Like, long prayers are not an issue for him. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the, he prayed the same prayer three times in a row. So repeated prayers aren't even an issue for Jesus. Even reading prayers that were written down, formulaic, we're about to read a whole prayer that Jesus himself gave to us and said, use this form of prayer when you pray. Jesus isn't against written prayers, structured prayers, long prayers, repeated prayers. No. What Jesus is condemning here is the kind of prayer, no matter how long it is, no matter its quality or spontaneity or not, he's condemning prayer that is detached from the heart and the head. That is a meaningless prayer that has become mechanical. Any kind of prayer that's it's just trying to get something out of it. This is why the ESV translation is getting at when it uses the phrase empty phrases. These are words that are without substance. They're empty, void, without meaning or heart. They're convinced, these pagans, these Gentiles, that God hears them for their many words. Jesus says, don't think like that. Don't pray like that. That is not the way that your God hears you. Remember, your God is your Father. He already hears you because you are his. You don't have to persuade him. Therefore, whatever we say, whatever words we want to use, however old we are or young we are, however eloquent our words are, or however ordinary our words are, whatever you want to ask, whatever is on your mind, however long or short your prayer is, your Father hears you. No matter what. So pray to Him. You don't need to submit a, a formal request for His attention. You don't need to impress Him in order to get Him to listen to you. Your Father hears you already, full stop. One of Sarah and my favorite shows is Ted Lasso, which, which just finished up this week. It was a wonderful conclusion, wonderful show. One of the main storylines throughout all the three seasons has been that of Nathan Shelley, who started out as the kit man for the main football club. You know, he helped with the jerseys and the water. But then he started coaching and became a pretty big sensation. Uh, a lot of the story re revolves around him. But as we learn about his life, as he rises up in his achievement and status in the football world, we learn that so much of what has driven him in his life has been to win over his father's approval and attention. Every time he gains a new status, he wonders, what will my dad think of me now? He thinks that he has to work for his attention. He thinks that he has to impress his father, that he has to reach some certain level of status and recognition from the world in order to be recognized by his own 
Father. I think we often think this way about God. That somehow we have to win over his attention and approval so that in our prayers, by our words, by the length, by the eloquency, by the quality, by the desires that we ask for, we want them to be good enough for him to turn his attention towards us. Friends, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Your Father in heaven hears you, Jesus says, no matter what. Why? Because our God is a God of grace, not of works. The pagans believed that their gods could be reached by somehow working their way to him and getting his attention. But the gospel is the opposite. We are saved by grace alone. And that's not just the start of our relationship with God. The entirety of our lives with God is built on the foundation of grace. Jesus wants to encourage us to pray by reminding us our Father hears us. So pray whatever you want to pray. Pray for however long you want to pray for. Pray with whatever words you want to use. Just know in your heart he hears you no matter what. Second, Jesus wants to encourage us by reminding us that our Father in heaven knows us. Not only does he hear us, he knows us. We get that in verse 8. Jesus says, Do not be like the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need. He knows the situation in front of you. He knows what you're facing. He knows what is bothering you. He knows what's troubling you. He knows what you'd like from him. He knows what would solve the problem. He knows what you're anxious about. He knows what's on your heart. He knows us. He cares for us. He knows our needs before we even ask them. Now, you might say, see, right here, this is why prayer makes no sense. If Jesus is saying that God already knows what I need before we ask, well, then what's the point of even asking? What's the point of prayer at all? If prayer is not informing God of what our needs are, what is the point? Is it to persuade God to give us what we want? Is he just standing there with what we need, just waiting for us to ask of it? Prayer doesn't make sense. Maybe you've thought that way about prayer. I know a lot of people do. This isn't a new objection. This isn't a new question that people have. People have been asking this for centuries. 400 years ago, John Calvin was writing encouraging things to his congregation, to the church then, about prayer. And he said this, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him, nor of exciting him to do his duty, nor of urging him as though he were reluctant to do it. He's challenging that opposition. On the contrary, he says, believers pray in order that we may arouse ourselves to seek him, and that we may exercise our faith in meditating on his promises 
and that we may relieve ourselves of our anxieties by pouring them out into his bosom. In a word, Calvin says, believers pray that we may declare that from God alone we hope and expect both for ourselves and for others all good things. Did you catch that? Believers pray that we might make ourselves more excited to be with him. That we might grow our faith by dwelling on his word. That we might relieve ourselves of our anxieties by casting them on him because he cares for us. He knows us. Calvin is helping us understand that, that contrary to the Gentiles who prayed to a distant and cold God in some kind of transaction of goods and services, praying to our Father in heaven who hears us is actually for the sake of growing closer to him in our relationship with him. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get something from God. It is to be with God. Prayer is an opportunity to grow in our faith. It's an opportunity to draw near to him, to the one who knows us so intimately. When our uh, firstborn, Theo, was born, a few months after that, I went on a camping trip with a bunch of guys from our old church in Shaker Heights. There were about eight of us on the trip, and four of us happened to have just had our first child in the last nine months. And the others there had older kids. And so around the campfire, we were kind of asking one another helpful tips and advice on parenting. And one of the guys spoke up and suggested this wonderful advice. He said, whenever possible, take your kid with you wherever you go. Whatever you're doing, maybe running errands to the grocery store, take your kid with you. You're going to the hardware store, take your kid with you. You're dropping off something with a friend. Take him with you. You might be going to get gas. Take him with you. The point of it was this. Spend time with your kid in the ordinary, everyday moments of life. Include them in the routines of your life, and they will grow to include you in the routines of theirs. And it's during those random one-on-one -on -one times with my kids that we have some of the most wonderful conversations we talk about school and their friends. We talk about church. We talk about you guys in, in good ways. We talk about God. We talk about their siblings and how they're getting along together. We talk about family. We talk about what's bothering them. We talk about what's exciting them. We talk about their dreams, their hopes. It's never too early to have those conversations with them. Those conversations help me know my kids more, and they help them learn that I care about them. Sometimes, if there's something going on, Sarah will say to me, hey, when you're in the car with them, will you, will you talk to Theo about this? And so we're in the car, and I know what he is going to ask before he knows that I know it, kind of like God. And when I know what's going on in his life, I'm able to talk with him and ask him questions and direct our conversation in a way that will help him. Your Father in heaven knows what's going on in your life. Prayer is an invitation for you to draw close to him in it, to be reminded that he loves you. 
So what is Jesus saying? Don't pray like the Gentiles. That is, don't think of your relationship with God like your relationship with Santa Claus, where you just write out your requests, your lists, and you occasionally send it up hoping that you've been good enough to get what you want. Think of your relationship more like that with the best father that you can imagine. He cares for you. He wants to spend time with you. The next time you pray, think like you're a kid sitting in a car out running errands with your dad, just talking about whatever is on your mind. He knows what's in your heart. It's not a reason not to pray. It's all the more reason to draw near to him and feel his embrace. Third and finally, Jesus wants to encourage us to pray by reminding us that our Father in heaven loves us. He says so in verse 9. After warning us of the dangers of praying like the hypocrites and praying like the Gentiles, he offers us a kind of prayer that we can use when we pray, and it begins like this, our Father in heaven. To our ears, this reference to God as Father, uh, it doesn't stand out to us. We have prayed this prayer a number of times. We think of God as Father all the time. We've got plenty of Catholic neighbors. I know many of us grew up Catholic who prayed all of their childhoods, the Our Father. It's just presumed, right? Of course we're praying to Father, our Father. But on the lips of Jesus, to the ears of the disciples, this teaching was profound. In those days, Israelite men and women would address God with such language of his majesty, of his holiness, his, his grandeur. And even if a relational term was used, it was always couched in much more formal language. So whatever intimacy was there was really downplayed. But Jesus, on the other hand, comes right out and uses a word unlike any other. Abba, Father. It's the Aramaic word that's simply the word that a child would use to address his own dad, daddy. Certainly, there was an element of respect in that word. It wasn't derogatory. But the more prominent feeling was that of a relational closeness, or like this. Of all of the people talking to you, Dad, I get to call you Dad. In other words, the word Abba, it's, it's not so much saying something about the person that we're talking to. It's more about who it is that's talking. We try to teach our kids that when they see mom or dad talking to another adult, that they need to be patient and wait their turn to, to talk to us because out of respect for the other adult. And we think this is good manners. Uh, nevertheless, you are all aware that you'll often be talking to me and one of my kids will come up and tug on my shirt and just start talking. Hey, dad, and then go on and on as though I was giving him my full attention. Regardless of whether that was right or wrong of him to do or them to do, I think that Jesus is saying something like that, that he is saying that he's inviting us to call God Father the same way with the same kind of access that he has. And we can go to him whenever and with whatever because we have his full and undivided attention. That word Abba 
has more to do with the relationship we have with God. And here's how I know that. In the gospel accounts, the only person to ever address God with this word, Abba, is Jesus. The Pharisees don't address God that way. The disciples don't even address God that way. Jesus is the only one that does. No one else prays like that. That is Jesus' way of talking to God. And then when we get to the epistles, the letters that, that St. Paul addressed to the churches to encourage other Christians in their Christian life, Paul twice writes about prayer and our ability to call God Abba, Father, and in both times, he refers to this as the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. So it's by the Spirit that we call God Abba, Father, the same word that Jesus calls God. So we see that being able to call the Father Dad is something that the Son does. It's something that the Spirit does. And now it's something that you and I can do. That is, we are counted as members of and enjoy the liberties and all the privileges of being called children of God. We have access to the Father just as much as Jesus himself had access to him. This access is, is not something that's open to everyone. It's like when my kids' schoolmates call me Theo's dad, Julia's dad. They're using the same word dad, but it means something different when my kids say it. Jesus is saying, you can call him dad like me because he is your dad like he is mine. We are now part of the same family. How is that possible? How do we have access like this? How, how do we, even though we are guilty of sin and do not deserve that level of intimacy, how is that possible? Well, Paul, in Ephesians 1, says that God chose us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ in love. It was his love for us that made that possible. It is his love for us that spurred him on to make us his own. It was his love for us that determined to send his own beloved son into the world to make a way for us to be part of his family. It was his love that Jesus went to the cross as our older brother to wash us clean of our sins, to make us justified, to make us righteous, so that in love, by grace alone, through faith alone, we would be adopted by God and brought into the family. It was done in love. In love, we have received the spirit of Christ by which we call out Abba, Father. It was by love. Do you see that? We have access to call God Abba, Father, because of the redemption that we have through Jesus on the cross. And that plan, that plan of salvation, that plan that would bring us into the family, it was done in love. And because he loves you, you can pray to him with confidence that we have this full and undivided attention. Our sin does not keep us from him. He loves us. 
Jesus knows that praying is hard. He knows that we struggle with it. He knows that it doesn't come easy for us. He wants us then to remember our Father hears us no matter what we have to say. He wants us to remember that our Father knows us, an invitation for us to spend more time with him and draw close to him. He wants us to remember that our Father loves us. And it's because he loves us that he sent his Son into the world to save us so that through him we too would have access to come to him anytime with whatever's on our heart and call him dad. Let's pray.